Hey buddy, I hoid the droughts moving in, muscling in on your turf. To make matters worse, the man keeps telling you to limit your spigot. That drought is bad news, no fooling. But me and my boys can help. The water boys, on the water zone, Thursday nights at six. We'll help you protect your turf and save water. And hey, don't worry about it. Consider it a gift. Yeah, Louie, you heard the boss. We gotta listen in at 6 p.m. on Thursday nights. Okay, Vinny, you got it. The water zone, Thursday nights at 6 p.m. I'll tell our lawn it's now protected. Well, good afternoon from the oceans to the desert to the mountains to all across America and back to drizzling San Bernardino, which we're thankful for and it's supposed to be one to four inches tonight. This is the Water Zone with Mike and Rob on KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, 106.5 FM, and on Ustream. So hopefully everybody's having a great night tonight. Tonight's a special night. We're going to be doing an ag and a res- residential commercial show. Awesome. Because yeah. we're integrating and understanding that water for ag is water for consumers, too, because we eat the food ag produces. Absolutely. And we have a great guest on who we had last week. Uh, he came in and did a live thing with us at the Irrigation Association show, Mr. John Farner. And, and I have to tell John before he comes on that I know he came back twice and got those cheap tr- giveaways that we gave away. And he's too far away for us to give him any more, but we'll send him something what he wants. So uh, our, our other guest host tonight is uh, Paul McFadden from our micro-irrigation group. So, Paul, welcome to the show. I don't hear Paul. <laughs> and we have John Farner. Hey guys, how are you? We're doing good. We lost Paul somewhere in the in the radio world. I and it was raining. It's raining there, so I don't think the people are used to the rain. He's, now, so it's, he's probably freaking it's out. Things up. He's probably freaking out at all of that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I do have to admit, uh, we did take something from your place when we were there. We took those sunglasses. Oh yeah. Well, I hope you're enjoying them. So we are, we are enjoying them. That will be like our <laughs> gifts that we gave you. <laughs> well, you know, I got home and I, I was wearing the hat, and my son said, I'm, "I want that right away." So it's now living in his room, and he wears it whenever he wants. Oh, so, okay. all right, we'll, we'll, much appreciated. We will send you some more hats. <laughs> Thank you. And what we we well, you saw a picture of your beautiful family on your computer. Yeah, you, you, yeah. Uh, uh, during the, I, I'm the I'm the least attractive one of the bunch, believe me. Oh, okay. Well, hey, yeah, but I I can tell. Excellent genes, excellent yes. genetic material. Passing. Excellent, cho- <laughs> excellent choice in a wife. I have to tell you that. Yeah. So anyway, what we'll do uh, tomorrow? I'll pack up some hats and I'll send them off to you. Sounds great. So the whole family can have them. Anyway, great. Hey, Paul, are you here yet? I am here. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, Paul. How are you this evening? I'm well. Thank you, friends. Nice mm-hmm. to nice to do this joint. Uh, joint uh, uh, call together. It's, it's quite nice. Unfortunately, our, our colleague, Ingi, is home recovering. We wish her all the best if she's uh, listening in. We'll, wait, we'll wave to Ingi if she sees us. Which, by the way, we've mentioned it before, but we'll mention it again. She was recognized as the IA Person of the Year. Uh, Achievement of the Year. Achievement of the Year. Uh, for her contributions to the ag industry. So uh, if Ingi's listening, shout out to her for her great contributions. We love you and miss you, Ingi, and get better soon. Exactly. Anyway, Paul, I'll let you lead it off because John's a great guest. Uh, We love having him on the show. Maybe he can be a regular part of the show. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) 
John, uh, John's uh, calling in from Washington, D.C. area, so uh, thank you for uh, staying up late, John. You did such a fine job last time, uh, uh, and it fits in nicely to what we're doing here in terms of the post-election analysis on, on uh, what it means to water, not only in the country, but also in California. And uh, uh, as, a, as part of the intro, I should say that... Uh, John served as the Government and Public Affairs Director for the Irrigation Association. He's been doing that for over uh, 10 years now, uh, working with ag and landscape issues, uh, uh, more than 15 years working government public policy. Uh, John's expertise in government and public safety or public affairs, excuse me, is closely aligned with the issues affecting water use in ag production and landscape management. So it was a nice fit for our uh, combined show tonight. We need him to move out here and, and head up to Sacramento and change our government. <laughs> yeah, talk to my wife about that. Okay, well, uh, sunny. She likes the snow? Yeah, well, yeah. Is she you know, an Eskimo? It's, it's, I'll tell you what, it's about 14 <laughs> degrees outside right now. I live in the mountains of Maryland, and it, it, the, the Arctic air has made its way to the East Coast. Oh. So. Well, you know, Toro... It, it, can, it can be a challenge out here. You know, we, we, we feel for everyone that uh, has to deal with all that snow, but... Uh, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you do. As, as you know, hey, you Toro know, I, does... I like, I like the way this is a joint, uh, joint show today. It's the amount of water... People usually compartmentalize how they view water. Either it's landscape water use or water use in your house or it's agriculture, and it's all integrated. It's uh, You need to look at it from a big-picture perspective, and I know it's very easy to talk to uh, customers and homeowners and how to save water, and that's great. When you go into what I do for a living and public policy and talking about water, if you don't talk about one, if you you need to talk, talk about the other with the one. So you need to talk about ag as well as landscape and vice versa in order to make things happen. So I really appreciate we appreciate you guys joining us and having this opportunity. Well, there's so many things I want to say, but I don't, and I, I I won't interrupt you anymore. Uh, no, 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 no. Go ahead. But, it's, but, your, uh, it's your show, Mike. So you know, we're thinking we're thinking of this new water conservation campaign. It's basically because, as we know, something like 80% of the available water in our California water infrastructure goes to agriculture if you ignore for a moment all of the water that stays within the rivers for environmental reasons and to prevent salt intrusion. But the new campaign, you know, we're trying to do a few focus groups to figure out if this makes sense. But when you think of all the food that is produced in California and all the water content of all that food, you know, the best way to save water is for all of us to eat like 10% less food. So, you know, it's, <laughs> we just got to call everybody to a or, diet. Or finish everything on your plate so they don't throw oh, away that's... the water. And that's my yeah, problem. That's right. That's my problem. Yeah. Everybody can see. But but really, <laughs> when you... And, and, hey, I'm in shape. I'm round. Come on. <laughs> but, you know, uh, at the Irrigation Association's Drought Summit, uh a week ago this Friday, the concept that our co-employee Ingi Bisconer put forward was to look at that more integrated approach uh, and to say if you're spending half a billion dollars on trying to save water in the urban marketplace or the urban communities, what could be saved if that kind of money or even a fraction of that money, uh, uh, half of that money was spent to improve irrigation efficiency uh, where it could make the biggest difference? So that really got us starting about thinking more in that holistic perspective. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I'll – next to the last thing I'll say <laughs> no, is okay. the guest that you had, Pat Mulroy, you know, she said something that has just resonated in my mind. You know, she said – that California needs to get its act together because to solve the water issues, we need more facilitators and fewer lawyers. Li- uh, no, litigators. Litigators, 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 right. And so I thought, yeah. oh, litigators, facilitators, you know, that's a, that, that really resonates and it's easy to remember, except I just forgot it. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, I just thought the organization of that drought um, summit was excellent. Very, very significant information, and and so we're looking at water 
on that broader perspective now. Well, anybody that wants to call in and, and, and pick John's brain or any of our brains, we don't have much, I don't have much to pick, but, uh, please do so at 909-888-5222. And if you're calling outside the area code of 909, do 888-909-1050. And John, you want us to screen the call so we'll only get the easy questions or the hard <laughs> questions? <laughs> Listen, I work in Washington, D.C., oh. and, and I've spent time in Sacramento. I've, um, I'd be willing to take any and all. Okay. All right. Paul, I'll turn it to you. So uh, Mike brings up a good point, you know, with, uh, with uh, food that is uh, not consumed, uh, something uh, around the neighborhood of 18 to 20 percent of all food that we buy as consumers ends up in the, in the landfill. It spoils, gets rotten. Uh, we toss it out. We uh, have leftovers. We don't eat them. Uh, you know, we buy uh, lettuce, put it in the fridge, and it goes bad. 18 to 20 percent of everything we buy ends up in the landfill. 30 to 40 percent of everything that's grown is, uh, is uh, including that 18 percent, is wasted. Uh, it's uh, thrown out at the supermarkets because it has a blemish on it or it's not perfect or it's not harvested because there's not enough labor uh, or, or resources to uh, take it to market. So uh, Rob brings up a very good point uh, about that. We can uh, dig into that a little bit later, but I think it's, uh, if, if we were just to take the amount of food that's wasted globally, uh, we, could, uh, we could certainly uh, make a huge impact on the water situation, uh, not just locally, but uh, globally. So uh, just uh, just a little little food for thought, if you will, no pun intended. Well, you know, you know, I can just say 15, 15 years ago when I worked for another company, we were developing and, and produced what's called a mass flow controller. It's an electromechanical device that flows uh, small amounts of, of gas, uh, standard cubic centimeters of gas and liquids all the way up to hundreds of liters per minute. And one of the things that I always always thought to do, because when you go buy potato chips, for example, any of those kind of things, it's they pack it in what's called modified atmosphere packaging, where they add different things. And 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 when I go to the grocery stores, you see the deli section. You know, they have the the, the glass case, and they and then they put the meat, the you know, the cut meats in and stuff like that. You know, if they use inert gases, they can actually extend the life of the food at the stores. In the, in the raw consumption portion of it. They do that with bananas, uh, all kinds of fruit. They take them and put them in the, the big distributors. They put them in warehouses and turn this gas on them, this inert gas, and it actually keeps it fresher. And I don't see a lot of that in the food stores. But, you know, that's another waste. You know, it, you wouldn't see all that being wasted. They probably can use it more and, and it'd be less, throw, you know, less to throw away. But anyway, John, what do you think? Well, people don't. When people go to the grocery store, they don't think in terms of what went in to make that food. That food is at the grocery store, and that's where we. And I say they. I say we. Me, my wife, my family. We go to the grocery store. We pick food we think looks good. It's near perfect, and we don't think about what went in to make that food, or produce that food, ship that food, or where it's even grown. None of that crosses our mind. In fact, it didn't cross my mind at all until I started working in this line of work. So it's, it's, it's an education level, too, that when you either throw food away, and I say you as in grocery stores, restaurants, consumers themselves, people at home, you're throwing away water. And I think, you know, referring back to the drought summit that we had, that was brought up that when you throw away food, you're throwing away water. And so there's, there's not a silver bullet approach here. It's all, it's, it's just a piece of the pie. This food waste issue is a piece of the pie. Water use is a, waste of, is a piece of the pie. Infrastructure is a piece of the pie. It's, it's, it's a fully integrated solution. We have to address this. It's not just looking at one in a vacuum. It's going to have to be. Uh, it's going to have to be portions of everything that we're looking at. It's it's really about uh, education, about awareness of that complete water cycle and how it affects mm-hmm. everything. And um, you know, I was recently I was talking to someone I can't remember who, but the idea of of uh, oh, water is the new oil in the sense that it's very essential and the price is going to go up. Um, but I stopped for a moment. I said, well, wait a second. There are substitutes for oil to deliver energy. You know, there's solar energy, there's geothermal energy, there's wind energy, there's battery energy, et cetera, et cetera. What, what, where's, the, where's the economic substitute for water? There is no, it's, it's unique. Not, yeah. So water um, 
is in that very unique category of, uh, and I guess you could put oxygen in there too because we need that. There's no substitute for that. Well, that's part of water. Yeah, and it's yeah, also part exactly of water. Exactly right, and and there's no we're not we're not trading with other nations for for water specifically. Yeah, we'll import food, we'll export food, and there's water. There's a water footprint in everything we have. And this is also brought up cell phones. The amount of water that goes into making a cell phone that is made in China or elsewhere in Asia that's brought into the United States. Things we ship out have a water footprint, whether it's food or not. So like, unlike oil that's shipped in in barrels, water is different. We have the water that's available to us in the United States for human consumption or agricultural production. We're not bringing that in from elsewhere. So, And there's politics behind all of this, and it's just United States politics and even state politics like California that get in the way of all, all decisions regarding water. So it's, it's, it's like oil, and there's a lot of politics behind it, but it's our own politics that's standing in our way to finding a lot of these solutions. I heard, I heard on the news writing home last night from work, uh, I, I don't recall the assembly person in California, but they were talking about uh, the waste of Christmas trees because they have water to water those. Hey, hey. Uh, well, well, I'm just saying, you know. Um, that, that, yeah. Well, but where are they growing? Where are they growing? They're growing in the Pacific Northwest where there's ample. Right, but then they cut them down. Yeah. And, and then they die. Yeah. And so it took all that water to make it. To help them grow, and then it's just wasted because they just toss it away and it goes in a landfill. Yeah, but remember, it transpired while it was alive. It was transpiring all that yes. water, right? So, yes. so uh, all that water that was in that tree went into the atmosphere. Right. So it stays part of the water. Right, system. but we're waste, but we're still missing out on all the benefits that the trees give us. That's true. Right? They clean the air. They they give shade. We have a point counterpoint here. Yes. Going on. <laughs> we uh, gr- growing up, we planted one of our trees. I was young, probably. I don't know, elementary school age. And by the time we moved out of that house, that tree was taller than our house was. It grew tremendously. Yeah, I'm going to say. It's pretty amazing. I'm going to say, Rob, you ignorant water hog. For those of us that grew up with uh, the old Saturday Night Live. But anyway, uh, Paul, back to you because I know you've got some questions. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) This is fun stuff. Well, John kind of alluded to it in the. As we talk to kind of a politics, and it's a nice segue into tonight's theme, being given the current uh, uh, or the recent elections, I should say. Uh, what uh, let's let's dig into that on a national level. What are what are you uh, what are you seeing, John? What are the effects, the appointments that are being made? Uh, where where are we headed from uh, from a uh, uh, water standpoint uh, with the recent election of uh, uh, Donald Trump? You know, I am pretty surprised at the amount of focus that water is actually getting, not only throughout the campaign, but it currently in Washington as well. Uh, I'm not sure if I mentioned this last week or not, but I think I did. In uh, President Let Trump's 100-day plan in his contract that he has with America, he mentions water infrastructure, by name water infrastructure, which is something that I had never seen before. I've seen infrastructure mentioned, and when you think of infrastructure, you think of things like bridges, highways, roads, potholes, things like that, or even energy infrastructure, improving our, our energy grid. You think of that, but rarely do legislators and regulators think of water infrastructure. And here we have that as a huge spotlight. And just just taking that a step up and looking at everything water, you have to break this down in several ways. One is on regulation. And water is getting swept up in all kinds of regu- regulatory reform that President-elect Trump is, is, is focusing on. Several he mentioned during his campaign, one being how the Endangered Species Act is being regulated in the Bay Delta in California. And he went out there and, and basically... May, he stopped short of making a promise, if not promising in so many words, that the way that the federal government enforces the Endangered Species Act, the Bay Delta, will be changed, and farmers will have access to more of that water, taking away, away from the environment. Now, the way that that's managed in California is actually quite a shame, because I think that when you talk about litigators versus, uh, what was the term, Mike? It was litigators and... Facilitators. Facilitators, that's what it was, facilitators. You need more facilitators out there, and this is what Pat was referring to. You need folks to sit down 
bring the environmental community at the table, bring the farming community at the table, and bring the urban water providers, water users at the table as well, and figure this out. Because right now, everyone thinks they're giving too much. And reality is that the environment only gives a little bit. They're, they have not taken that much away from the environment. They feel they should have everything still, but there's a huge drought right now, which is exasperating the amount of water that's available. So anyway, President like Trump has mentioned that that will be changed. Clean Water Act regulation is another one. So uh, as you may or may not have, have talked about, the uh, expansion of scope of the Clean Water Act was a focus of President Obama's administration. And here, and that is now being litigated in court. It, the rule has been what we call promulgated, which means it's gone through an open comment process. And now it's being litigated in federal court. Well, President-elect Trump has stated that that federal regulation is not going to be scaled back once he takes office. So when you look at how, how water is being viewed, you're looking at infrastructure investments. is all part of the jobs focus that President Trump has. You're looking at decreased regulations, which is a big focus of President Trump as well. And then, But you still have this concept of access to safe drinking water, which Congress sort of took care of with funding in the last, this past lame duck session. But it's going to have to be a focus of President Trump as well. And, and I think before everybody gets the idea that, oh, the Clean Water Act is now defunct and the Endangered no, 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 Species no. Yeah. Act, any comments regarding kind of – when, when, the, when the Clean Water Act was passed in the 70s, it immediately went into the courts. And it's, I feel like um, I sometimes I go through a schoolhouse rock theme in my head, which how a bill becomes a law and it kind of <laughs> stops there when the president signs into law. Well, that's not the end of the story. The end of the story, actually, each bill that's passed by Congress then goes to a federal agency in order to be enforced. So it might go to the Environmental Protection Agency, or it might go to the Department of Labor, or it may go to the Department of Treasury. Any of the regulatory agencies that have jurisdiction over the bill goes to them to enforce. Now, they don't enforce the actual legislative language. They interpret that language and write regulations based on legislative language. Once they do that, that then goes to what's called public comment. And this is all laid out in statute, all laid out in federal law. So... Folks like you guys can write on behalf of yourselves, Rob, Mike, Paul, you guys can write it on behalf of yourselves, on behalf of your company, on behalf of your association, on behalf of whomever, and submit your, your, your feelings, your comments on how the federal government is translating this legislation into law. Well, when the Clean Water Act was passed, it went straight into the courts, and it never went through that process until 2014 time frame. That's when it went through the process under the Obama administration. And so now we are where we are with the Clean Water Act, and the way that the Obama administration interpreted it was a much larger scope than in how it had been enforced over the past nearly 40 years. But part of, part of the problem – well, I was going to say part, yeah. of, part of the problem is – when the Congress writes the thing and it gets approved and they send it to the agency, then you have these people who are not elected by the Correct. public. And Correct. they can write and change and do whatever they want. It never goes back to the Congress to fully approve again. That's, That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. Congress can call in hearings based on that, but and they give kind of direction in what's called report language, which are basically notes that members of Congress write that are attached to the bill. It's not by the president. It's not law but it's saying federal agencies are recommended to enforce it this way. Now, they're not bound to do so. It's just direction given by Congress. But you're absolutely right, right, correct, Rob. The majority of the regulatory action and interpretation that's made are done so by career politics, career regulators, career federal employees that work for agencies in the Environmental Protection Agency. And, and part of that, on the other side of it, is you want people who know about what they're Absolutely. regulating, and so yep. uh, you kind of depend on that. But do you yep. think uh, with this kind of surprise passage of a major major legislation, I mean, this is like a $10, $10 billion water bill that just got signed mm -hmm. uh, by, mm -hmm. by uh, President Obama, um, do you think the passage in the Senate and in the House after five years of negotiation and back and forth – do you think Trump's comments 
to the farmers had something to do with the Senate saying, "Well, hey, if we don't do this now, you know, there might be there might be even uh, more uh, more permitted than what we want to per- permit through the through this process." I don't, do you think there was any relationship? Between. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's hard to tell. It, it, it's really hard to tell if, gosh, I, I've been wrong so many times, Mike, in <laughs> thinking about who thinks what and why in Washington. Yeah. I'm kind of questioning who I am these days. But it, it, it's hard to tell whether or not uh, President Trump's comments affected that or not. I, I To be honest with you, I don't think so. Uh, word, uh, the Water Resource Development Act that was just signed into law by the president that went through about a two-year process, and there was actually a water, water bill that was passed about five years ago as well. It's strictly a water infrastructure bill. It's, it's funding uh, the Army Corps of Engineers, the Department of Interior has some money, um, the Flint, Michigan aid is in there for uh, lead contamination and pipes, and that was actually the most controversial part of that bill. That was really the negotiation part of it. So I think where we're going to see that it was very much a non-controversial bill. And I think that whatever President Trump wants to do on infrastructure later on, he's still going to do because, in his viewpoint, he views things through. He views the world through economy and jobs. And this whole I call it a stimulus package. He calls it an investment package. Infrastructure. That's that, that's what this is being wrapped up in. But one of the things that we have our eye on in the future, specifically related to water, is going to be the next farm bill, and that will be brought up beginning of next year because the current farm bill runs out in 2018. So we're going to see a pretty big focus on agriculture, farmers, and water, and that legislation as well. Interesting. Paul? Well, there's a lot of going, a lot of stuff going on. I think uh, uh, maybe after the break we can dig into a couple of things. Uh, I'm interested in your comments and your thoughts, John, on, on uh, some of the cabinet appointments. Yeah. as well as, as the uh, new uh, water bill that Mike alluded to earlier that was uh, just passed, the Senator Feinstein's bill that was just passed by the Senate uh, uh, that uh, has taken five years to put together and, and uh, penciled in at $558 million to help uh, help uh, water infrastructure in the state of California. So Yeah, yeah. All right, well, stick around. We're going to take a quick little break, and then we'll be back with Mr. John Farmer, director of uh, in, uh, agri- <laughs> legislative, <laughs> uh, legislative uh, affairs and everything. He's, 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 I, I've, been, I've been called everything in the book. Don't worry about it. I'm trying it. to think of good words to give you. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, tough, I know. We'll be back on The Water Zone, KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3, 106.5. So stay tuned. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Water Zone. I'm KCA 1050 AM, and uh, we're here with uh, Mike Barron, Mr. Paul McFadden, and our wonderful special guest, uh, John Farner, <laughs> who uh, is uh, head of the uh, Legislative Action Director Initiative. of Government Affairs. Yes, Director great of Government. guy. Did you know Bill Clinton by chance? I no. met him once. I didn't know him. Though. Oh, okay. Oh. Are you going up to yeah. Trump Towers? <laughs> I've not been there. Oh, I'll, I'll give him a call. Tell him to invite you up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> be careful, because uh, Rob is known to be able to get stuff like that done. So. I, I tell you, <laughs> he, know, he knows people. I know, I know. <laughs> Paul, back to you. I'll let you uh, go for it. Thank you, thank you. I, you know, I um, having been in D.C. Uh, uh, and seen the the old post office, uh, I'm I'm kind of curious. Uh, uh, what the, how that's been transformed? I guess it's quite a quite a spectacular place now that uh, Mr. Trump has come in and revitalized it and created a, a luxury hotel out of it. There's a uh, there was a big sign outside right on Pennsylvania Avenue that had the name Trump coming 2016 on it. And during the whole campaign, if you Google it, it'll pop up in your Google search. During the whole campaign, that sign became a tourist attraction. There was people taking selfies in front of it, pictures in front of it. So the, the hotel itself was still gutted, but uh, Donald Trump is making so much news during his campaign that people just wanted to see that sign on Pennsylvania Avenue. <laughs> well, you heard it first here on the Water Zone from John Farner. So <laughs> interesting little trivia for you. Well, I'll tell you, he sure knows how to market himself. He does. He does. 
I mean, if you look what everybody else spent on that election and what he spent, uh, they spent a whole lot more money and didn't get him anywhere, the other people, other side. Yeah, and we'll see how that translates. You know, I know we talked a little bit about his business background and bringing business people into the administration. I know, Paul, you want to talk a little bit about who's being appointed and what direction they're going to take in the administration, but we'll see how that, how that translates to actually running the government. And um, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to, to watching it happen from inside the belt list. So as you as you said, John, uh, the appointment uh, obviously nobody's been confirmed yet, but uh, yep. uh, a lot of interesting appointments. And I uh, I would uh, I would like it if you could please just kind of highlight the folks that have been mentioned uh, as uh, as uh, as candidates uh, up for uh, confirmation uh, by the Trump administration for the the areas that uh, affect uh, water. Uh, water farming and food uh, 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 most directly? Yeah, so there were three agencies that we mainly look at are the Department of the Interior, the Environmental Protection Agency, and, of course, the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And two of those three actually have nominees right now. So we'll start with in order of of when they came out, and that's going to be the EPA. And this one, it happened uh, a little while ago. Actually, last week, because I was in Las Vegas when I heard about it. And so President Trump has actually nominated, is going to nominate, once he's president, the Oklahoma Attorney General Scott Pruitt to be the administrator of the EPA. Now, what's interesting about all the focus right now on the environment has to do with climate change and what the actual cause of climate change is, the impact it's currently having on the environment, and where public policy fits into that, because the Donald Trump administration is going to have a complete 180-degree different perspective than where President Obama's take was on climate change, is on climate change. Scott Pruitt is actually in the middle of a lawsuit. He's suing the EPA on behalf of the state of Oklahoma on, on some regulations right now. So the fact that he has been nominated as administrator of the EPA is very telling uh, from this administration on their viewpoint of the EPA. One of the things that I've seen so far, and people think that Donald Trump is going to rip down the EPA and do away with it, the EPA is not going to be done away with. What's going to happen, however, is that in, in, in his point of view, in President Trump's point of view, he's going to bring it back to the way it was when it was first founded under President Nixon's administration. And that was to protect the environment, but look at how we as humans will do business, will live here while not degrading the environment anymore. It's not to actually bring the environment up to what to what it once was before human intrusion on this land once was. It's to bring it back down to basics, and that's what President Trump's focus is going to be. And part of that is going to be pushing down a lot of the regulations, regulatory authority to the state. So in, historically where the federal government has been involved in a good focus of this is on water, and in, in regulating water, the, the, the federal government regulates water quality, and the states regulate water quantity. So states own the water that's there. They administer state water rights, the water rights in that state. However, the federal government controls it when there is an environmental protection over top of it, whether it's subject to the Clean Water Act, there's Endangered Species, there's subject to the Endangered Species Act. So that's where President Trump is going to focus and bringing that back down to the states to have them take care of a lot of things. So that's so Scott Pruitt is a very unique and interesting choice. And like a lot of these other nominees for agencies, came out of left field, came out of nowhere. We're seeing that with the Department of State nominee as well. Came out of nowhere. We thought it was going to be Mitt Romney or Rudy Giuliani, and here's ExxonMobil CEO. So that, that Scott Pruitt's nomination was, was very interesting. Uh, the other two we're looking at, our Department of Interior, and that is Ryan and Zinke. And he's a, the congressman from the state of Montana. And again, came out of nowhere. We heard some other names percolating up uh, for the Secretary of the Interior. But however, Congressman uh, Zinke's name uh, has been nominated for Department of the Interior. And what's interesting about Congressman Zinke is that Donald Trump Jr. was actually the one to push him to be the Secretary. He has a big focus on access to public lands and use of public lands for other purposes other than just straight-up straight protection, whether it's hunting or energy or farming or whatever. 
he has a different perspective than, let's say, the Obama administration had on actual public lands. So that's also be very, very interesting. Uh, in addition to that, Department of Interior also oversees the Bureau of Reclamation, which has authority over the 17 western continuous states, including California, on conveyance, water use, uh, and other other of those water issues. So it's, it's going to be pretty interesting having him serve as secretary as well. Unfortunately, we don't know who's going to be the secretary of Department of Agriculture yet. Uh, Senator Heidi Heitkamp has been the leading nominee. Uh, and she's actually a senator from um, North Dakota and is a Democrat. However, she's been very vocal in her opposition to the Obama administration on a lot of things, agriculture, whether it's Clean Water Act, stage grass protection, other environmental issues. And what would make really interesting sense for her nomination is that she is in a complete swing state. So if she, if she were to be nominated and accepted, a special election would occur, and chances are a Republican would win that seat, which would make a, the majority one more for the Republicans in the Senate. Interesting. There's always multiple facets of any decision. <laughs> there, there or, at is, least, yeah. or at least we can theorize that there are multiple facets. And, and her colleagues are, are recommending that she doesn't take the job because of that reason. That's it's, absolutely it, right. It, which is amazing to me. Instead of doing something for the good of the country, we're going to do, they're going to do something for politics. It's in, it's in the Senate leadership's best interest to have her seated in the Senate because right now Republicans have a 51 to 49 seat control over the United States Senate. So that's. Actually, actually I think it went to 52 48. It's just 52. No, yeah. Louisiana. 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 Yeah, you, you're yeah, right, right prior to Louisiana, but now. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. It, Louisiana had a special election. The Republican won that. So it's a 52 seat. So that would pump it up uh, one even more then. Interesting. Very, very interesting. I, I just want to see all these politicians well, put the country first instead of their politics well, first. It's, uh, yeah. it's, it's kind of a win-win for uh, Trump because he can say, "Look, I tried to, I tried to be uh, open, open, and bring in, bring in the, you know, the opposition in, into the administration, but you know, you rejected me." So he's going to win. Yeah, histor- historically, Department of Ag has been a place where they have put in the opposite party. Oh, really? Because it's not. It is. It's not a regulatory agency. So the only authority they have is to implement agricultural programs, which are basically programs to help out the agriculture community. Now, how that money is being spent, what focus the program has, that's under control over the administ- over the Secretary of the Department of Ag, but there is no regulatory authority in the Department of Agriculture, and that's why sort of, you've seen an opposite party come in. Uh, generally, presidents have in the past nominated one person from the opposite party to serve in their cabinet, and Ag has been a, a, a somewhere that has been a landing spot for that opposite party. This has been not only a learning opportunity about water on a national perspective, but also the politics of water. It's great. <laughs> this is this is this yeah. is going to this is going to go into the Water Zone Hall of Fame. We should uh, we should write a book on politics of water. That's right. <laughs> Called the big drip. Yeah. <laughs> Back to you, Paul. We keep so, usurping your uh, your your show. Yeah. No, no. This is this is great. I love this. This is uh, wonderful. I I appreciate all your uh, your help uh, uh, on uh, on the, the my colleagues from Riverside. So thank you for for your uh, willingness to jump in and help out in Ingi's absence. So it, it, it's it's actually very interesting. Uh, I hope it's as listening, interested, uh, interesting for our listeners as well. So, I was expecting Ingi to call, <laughs> disguise her voice. <laughs> um, John, some of these uh, the, uh, you mentioned uh, Scott Pruitt from Oklahoma, uh, Ryan Zinke, and, and uh, Senator Heitkamp. What what is their background, and, and what what, in your opinion? Um, brought them to the surface, if you will, uh, in terms of, of uh, the nominating process. For example, uh, Scott Pruitt, you know, uh, is he, is being part of the EPA, does he have a environmental background or is it just a legal background? Uh, and obviously Oklahoma is an energy state, but uh, just curious how that, uh, what his background is and what it, how it kind of meshes together in the mosaic of, of this whole process. Yeah, I think I think it, not necessarily his background is taken into consideration, but his focus on how he feels the authority of the EPA should be run and the organization of the EPA. He does have a legal background, 
and his focus at the department, I'm sorry, at, in the state of Oklahoma has been regulatory change, including environmental regulatory processes. So I think that, that's what really piqued the interest of President-elect Trump was because of that. And I, I honestly think the fact that he's doing the EPA, that sends a statement on how his administration is going to view the EPA. And, you know, when you look at Zinke, he is a former Navy SEAL. And if you look at other uh, appointees of the Trump administration, heavy military background, a lot of military background in every single appointment that we have in his, in his administration. So I think he values that quite a bit. Uh, but also his viewpoint, like I said, on access to public land. Donald Jr. is an avid hunter. And that's why he actually inserted himself into this process to search for a, uh, a Secretary of the Interior. You know, in fact, in the early days, uh, the, the days immediately after the election, there was all these questions on whether or not Donald Trump's children were going to serve in the administration. You may have heard it. Is, is Ivanka going to have a role? Is Donald Jr. going to have a role? And if you, if you watch, if you write closely and listen closely, Donald Jr. actually had an interest in being the Secretary of Agriculture. And that was actually reported on national news. And, of course, as a political scientist myself, I just I was fascinated by all of this because I've never seen anything like this before in my life in American politics. So I was looking at, okay, well, this doesn't make any – there's a piece of me saying this doesn't make sense. There's, there's nepotism laws in place after John F. Kennedy appointed Bobby Kennedy attorney general, and Congress felt that Bobby Kennedy had no business being attorney general of the United States. So federal nepotism laws are put into place for this not to happen again. Well, in fact, those are in place. So you're not going to see any of his children take top-level, cabinet-level roles. But Donald Jr., like I said, and his other children are big parts of the transition and have a huge say in who's appointed uh, in, in the cabinet. Yeah, who, but, but you, we all know. Who do we all trust first? Family. Oh, yeah. Family. Yeah. No, I was, I was going to say you. Oh, it's my family. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. I told you I'd back you. <laughs> Just let, come out here and run for office. I'll back you. I'll, fu- yeah, I'll, fu- right. I'll fund you. <laughs> Sweet. I'm going to recording this. That's okay, great. Okay. <laughs> well, if our lead-in uh, uh, music and intro suggests uh, you'd be well-protected out here, John. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> um. So I guess uh, the next question uh, that, that I'm going to throw out there for the group is uh, where, how does this all affect California water? Uh, obviously, with uh, this uh, recent uh, Senator Feinstein, Feinstein's water bill, the $558 million for, for um, you know, $335 million of it, for example, is, is for uh, water storage product, uh, projects, which is just a fraction of what it's going to cost, but... Still, three hundred thirty-five million is enough to, you know, raise the level of a dam, or uh, so. I, I guess my or retire on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess uh, I guess where I'm going with this, John, is how does this affect us in California? I tell you, that California water bill, the drought legislation that Senator Feinstein negotiated, uh, that's huge. It's huge. and that was I, I mentioned that the Flint, Michigan aid was the most controversial part. That was the most controversial part. In, in leading up to the passage, however, during what we call conference committee, it was that drought bill that really sent shockwaves throughout the Senate because Senator Feinstein and Senator Boxer disagreed completely on that portion of the bill, and ultimately Senator Feinstein won. And she's actually done a pretty good job advocating for drought legislation and being that facilitator that we talked about earlier. Um, you know, she all senators have their quirks, and Senator Feinstein is among of them with her quirks. However, She's, she, she has been an advocate throughout all of this in at least bringing the right people to the table. Some feel she hasn't gone far enough. Other feel she hasn't gone too far. Now, when it comes to that, that this funding, I'm excited to see how, how it works out. I hope none of it's wasted. Uh, when we're talking about big storage projects, this all has to do with it, the politics are behind a lot of this. So uh, what we would love to see, big storage projects, you know, something like a dam or a reservoir, they have to go through an environmental assessment process. And now there's a new administration that may be streamlined a little bit, but it still has to go through a lot of hoops and hurdles in order to get done. I know she's looking at a lot of aquifer recharge, which is much needed in California, given I know the Central Groundwater Management Act has gone 
to make have made strides in terms of managing the amount of groundwater used for agriculture and other purposes. But groundwater recharge is a big part of this, and I'm glad to see some money is going to that as well. So I think there are big opportunities in California for this money to be spent, and I just hope that it's spent where it's needed, and that would be big ticket items like agricultural infrastructure, ag water use, um, and things of that storage, things of that nature. So. Uh, one of the other one of the er- other areas the water bill suggests that more water is going to flow through the delta uh, mm-hmm. and, and down into you know the three quarters of the people in the uh, that live south of the delta in the state of California, but also the farming. Um, any uh, mm-hmm. any thoughts on that? No, I, I think it's great. I think any more water that can be available to those communities who have been decimated by drought. I mean, I say decimated in losing their jobs turning on a faucet where water does not come out. I, I can't imagine a world where I go to my faucet and turn it on and water does not come out of that faucet. So we're talking about the amount of water that needs to be saved in, in really our the cities in California. There are rural areas that, you know, I may consider rural living in Washington, D.C., but it's not, it, 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 they're communities. And people, you have groups of people living there that don't have water right now. So the fact that we have the opportunity to move more water to the Delta, to get to humans, not only for ag production, but to drink, is a huge, huge, huge stride. And I think a lot to be said for that passing passing in Congress. Well, we know we know that um, this was in, in uh, U.S. News and World Report. So in the past two years, 35,000 people have lost jobs, 1 million acres mm-hmm. of farmland have gone fallow, and 2,400 yep. private water wells have gone dry. And that's when those private water wells go dry or even the public ones that are supplying rural communities, that's where you get – you turn the faucet and nothing comes up. And, yep. of course, right. why has the water table dropped? Well, because less water has been made available that's to farmers in the Central correct. Valley through the various state water projects. And yep. so they have started pumping more and more groundwater. You pump more and more groundwater, that drops the water table. Now you've got 2,400 wells that have gone dry. And that's uh, – that, yeah. That's part of the devastation that I think that that was perhaps more real to Senator Feinstein than it was to Barbara yep. Boxer. But from a, I, I, you hit the nail on the head, Mike. That's absolutely right. But from a hundred thousand foot perspective, or two hundred thousand, let's go way high here. You know, Mike and I talked about on a show a company called the Water Train, where they have one hundred thirty-two rail cars and they move water anywhere in the United States. You know, there's lots of moisture water on the east coast compared to here with the snow and everything else did anybody you know why can't they transport that out here why can't they put a pipeline in why can't they do any of that have you heard about that pipeline they wanted to build the keystone pipeline well yeah (laughs) that's why they can't put any pipelines but you know the regulatory environment may may change i think the fear on one side of the political spectrum is that it it's like every single protection against environmental ha- uh, hazards has just evaporated with the election of uh, with the election and i think with the legislation and congress still in place that you know, you're not going to see that the philosophy at the regulatory agencies it's is changing but it's not like they're intentionally uh, you know wanting to mix oil and water and no, all but, that kind of thing but with the increase of population that's coming with the increase of food production and everything else to feed the world, and we only got less than 2% of water to drink or water to use, what are they going to do? Well, but it's still... You can only save so much. That 2% is still an awful lot. And as um, Congressman McClintock said, there's plenty of water in California. The problem is it's not where you need it, and it's not when when you need it, and that's why you have the infrastructure. And as you recall, the Colorado River system has 60 million acre-feet of storage that has been built. The Sacramento River has 10 million, a 6 to 1 ratio. I'll ask you, John, which river flows more water, the Colorado River water or, or the Colorado River or the Sacramento River in a, in a year, in an average year? I miss what you said, Mike. Oh, sorry. that's okay. <laughs> yeah, my point here was uh, that the um, the average flow rate of on an annual basis of the Sacramento River is actually greater than what flows through the Colorado River. Oh yeah, yep. And and yet you have six times more storage on the Colorado River. 
because yeah, at the time right. that that was all built, obviously the regulatory environment was different. Mm-hmm. And yet, right. you know, that's what this new bill, I think, is going to try to do is to yeah. try to streamline some of the regulatory restrictions and cr- create more uh, facilitators rather than litigators, you know, hopefully to be able to uh, make some improvements. Like the Shasta Dam can be built up another 10 feet and something mm-hmm. like double the storage capacity, and mm-hmm. and yet there's lawsuits against doing that. Even though you know, it's gonna, it's going to take a crisis to fix these problems, Mike. And you like we just talked about with turning on a faucet and water not coming out. That's what drives change. And right yeah. now, all these facts and figures you're talking about, we all on the on the show understand what you're talking about, and I think you're listening. The audience also understands, but the general legislator, whether state or federal, does not understand that. And it's going to take a crisis. Unfortunately, that's what drives change, and it's unfortunate. You're right. I have to I have yeah. to agree with you. So when you're moving. <laughs> By the way, if you do, I got the posters being made right now. If you do, hey, if, when, uh, when we get a foot of snow out here, I'll be in the first flight out. There. Hey, hey, uh, if, if you do move, bring your water, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have plenty of it out here. Well, John, how about uh, maybe ending on an optimistic note with what you hmm. see for the near-term future in terms of water availability in the U.S.? Well, I, you know, I see all kinds of opportunity here. I think that in this focus of um, – and, Paul, Paul, please jump in, you know, when, when, you, when you like here. But when you're looking at opportunities to drive uh, jobs, when you're looking at opportunities to build infrastructure, when you're looking at opportunities to incorporate more technologies, there's a lot of fun stuff going on in our industry, which is the irrigation industry. And being a top water user, whether it's in agriculture – or municipal water for turf grass and landscapes, there are opportunities abound. And I think we're beginning to make our way through to the public and to legislators that when you look at practices, technologies, a lot of water can be saved immediately. It doesn't have to be a huge lifestyle change that a lot of what I call activists are asking for, whether it's a change in the landscape or changing how you you know, live your lives, it doesn't have to be the case. So I think there are opportunities abound, and it's exciting to be part of this industry right now, seeing all the new technologies that are out there that didn't exist 10 years ago when I started, when I started this organization. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really exciting. I, I'm fortunate to see a, a small part of it. But, you know, I see you guys as well, if you hear that or not. But that's, that's, I really see a lot of opportunity there. 